In the church Bibles, that's page uh, 596. And in the large print Bibles, page 924. Psalm 87. Well, in recent weeks, uh, passports have been in the news. Uh, They've been in the news uh, for two reasons. Uh, The first reason is that uh, some passports have been made that have taken off European Union from the the top of them, have been distributed, and then we never left the European Union. Uh, So some people have got some passports, which probably, in a few years, might be worth quite a lot of money, actually. Uh, And the other reason they've been in the news is because some people are... Uh, most excited to be able to have a blue passport rather than a burgundy passport. Uh, If that excites you, well, uh, good for you. Uh, But a passport is an important document, isn't it? Um, uh, it, it, It's a proof of our name, uh, a proof of our date of birth, uh, a proof of what we look like, or at least uh, for some of us, what we used to look like. Uh, For me, in my passport, it's it's so old now that I wasn't quite as grey as when I got it. Uh, and when uh, my uh, daughter got her first passport, she was a baby, and it lasted five years. And I wondered how on earth uh, the immigration officials could tell uh, that this was her. But nevertheless, um, she was allowed to travel the world with that passport. But with all the latest uh, shenanigans with uh, Brexit and the uncertainty that it, we, we may feel, it is, it is important to realize that whatever our passport says... Whatever our citizenship may be, uh, we as Christians have a higher and greater citizenship than is written on our passports. In fact, so much so that our passports are not really that important. They are if you want to travel on this earth to a different country, but it's not any record on earth that is as important as a record that God has in heaven. And as Christians, our names are written in heaven. Whatever nation we are from, whatever our passport may say, we are citizens first and foremost of a city, Zion, the city of God. And Psalm 87 is a psalm that speaks of the city of God. Now, the place of Zion Uh, is actually a physical place on earth, a a hill in Jerusalem that was captured by King David in about the 10th century BC. You can read all about that in 2 Samuel chapter 5. He named it the city of David. But over time, uh, Zion came to mean the whole of Jerusalem. And later on, it referred to the temple the place in Jerusalem where God dwelt with his people. And the name Zion continued to develop until it came to signify more generally the dwelling place of God, which is heaven. And when we're looking at the New Testament, when we refer to Zion, we're referring really to heaven, the place where God dwells. When we talk of Zion, we're thinking of the place where God dwells, with his people who are under his rule. 
the place where he dwells with his people who are under his rule. That's what we're thinking of with Zion. And Psalm 87 is a song that celebrates this great city where God dwells with his people who are under his rule. The song praises the city and it shows us where our true citizenship really lies and why that really matters. And I think that it's an appropriate psalm uh, for the days we live. And I think it's an appropriate psalm to realign our thinking, especially in our, uh, our kingdom called the United Kingdom, but is anything but united. I think this psalm really helps us to realign our minds as to really where our citizenship really is and what really is important, regardless of whether we think we should remain or leave the European Union. When we read this psalm and we get this psalm, we come to realize that that really doesn't matter all that much. So let's read uh, Psalm 87 together. So Psalm 87 of the sons of Korah, a psalm, a song. He has founded his city on the holy mountain. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are said of you, city of God. I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me. Philistia too and Tyre along with Cush. And I and will say, this one was born in Zion. Indeed, of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her. And the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples. This one was born in Zion. As they make music, they will sing. All my fountains are in you. This is God's word. Well, what is it about Zion that we uh, can celebrate? Well, the first uh, truth we learn in this psalm about the city of God is that Zion is the Lord's city. Zion is the Lord's city. Verse 1 talks, if you read that, about how God founded the city. That is, he chose the place where it would be and where he would build it. But also this speaks of ownership. The founder of the city is the one who owns it. And so this very much is the city of God, where God is its founder and God is its ruler. And he sets it on the holy mountain, it says here. Now, Zion was physically on a mountain, but it also illustrates God's dwelling place. It is high and above and a place from which he rules. You can uh, picture uh, a king sitting on high and looking over his dominion. That's the kind of picture we get here where God dwells. But it's a holy mountain because being holy means set apart, set apart for God, for his glory, and his presence makes it holy. The place where God dwells is unique above and beyond all other places. So God owns the city in verse 1, and he rules it. But in verse 2, God also loves it in a, a special way. It says there, the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwellings of Jacob. When, it, uh, when the verse there refers to the gates, it's not just saying, um, my, my favorite bit of the city is the gate, 
because it's a lovely gate. Gates here is a, an expression meaning the, the whole of it. I love the gates of Zion means I love Zion. It's the, my, the, the best place. It refers to the, to the whole of the city. Israel had many different cities, but the gates of Zion, God loved the best. Why? Well, the dwelling place of God was the place where his people gathered to worship him. It was better for that reason. You could worship God in other places in Israel, that is true, but it was like the difference between a Skype call and real time together. So we have family in America, and occasionally, not as much as we probably should, but occasionally, we'll have a Skype call with our family in America. But it's very different to when we are physically with them in America. It's lovely and wonderful to be able to Skype. We praise God for that technology, but it's not the same as being there. We speak to our family, but it's not the same as being with our family. And for, the, for New Testament people, God dwells in his church, which is the people of God. Now, God loves the world. He shows his love for the world in his provision for the world, his undeserved favor upon mankind. Everyone is under the grace of God. Every breath that anyone takes, they only have that breath because God has ordained that it is so. But God loves his church especially. He especially loves his church, the people whom he has died for. And for us, we should have that love for his church, the place that God dwells among his people, more than any other love that we have. God has designed his kingdom in such a way that the church is broken down into local expressions, one of which is right here in Pelsall. Now, you can worship God anywhere. I worship God in my home. I worship God on the squash court. I worship God in my study. I worship God, where, of course, we worship God wherever we are. But like, and like the other dwellings of Jacob, those are all good things, but they are not the church itself, where the gathered people of God are. I'm not talking about church as building, but as the people of God. We should love where God dwells more than any other place because God does. And where does God dwell? He dwells with his people. And like the temple, his people gather within the church. And so we should love God's church. Is the church a priority in your life that is more than other places which are good, but not the church. We need to worship God wherever we are, of course, but the church should be the place that we love more than anywhere else. Well, how do we prioritize church or God's people? Well, we prioritize God's people like we prioritize anything. In the same way that we show our love for other things, with our time, with our resources, with our affections, the things that we get most excited about. That's how we show that we love the dwelling place of God, the gates of Zion. 
So we need to get involved in the life of this church, if you are living here and part of this community, and the church worldwide. We need to be praying on your own and with others at prayer meetings. We need to be involved in the mission of our church, to obey the commands in the scriptures that end with one another, love one another, encourage one another, build one another up, and such forth. The Lord loves the gates of Zion, do you? Or is your involvement with God's people more like a Skype call just once a week on a Sunday? The implications of this psalm is that if God dwells in Zion, well then we need to dwell there too in order to have a relationship with him. You see, the glorious thing about Zion is that it is where we can be in relationship with him. Relationship with the king is the great benefit of being a citizen of Zion. So being a citizen of Zion is the the greatest privilege that we can have because it is where we have a relationship with God. So how is it that we can be citizens of this great city of God? Well, verse 3 tells us, glorious things are said of you, city of God. So the, the psalmist is about to speak of glorious truth about this city. And the glorious truth, really, that the psalmist sings about is how we become citizens of it. That is, the Lord grants citizenship in Zion. The Lord grants citizenship in Zion. Verse 4 begins with, I will Record. That's what it says there. I, that's the Lord speaking, I will record. So the glorious truth about Zion is is being spoken here by God himself. And he says, I will record. That means he makes a record of who is in his city. The way this is written is him deciding on who is going to be on the record. He records it, he writes the names down, he says these people will be on the record of the city of Zion. And it's a surprise to read who is included in this city. Look at verse 4, he records Rahab, which is a, a name for Egypt. Israel, uh, Rahab can be used in different ways in the Old Testament. It can be used as the, the name of the prostitute who... Uh, escape Jericho, but usually, actually, when Rahab is used, it's used as a, a, as a name for Egypt. And that's because Rahab was also seen as like a, a sea monster. And because Egypt were destroyed when the Red Sea covered over them, uh, often they're described as Rahab, as, a, as like a nickname. And then he says Babylon. Now, Egypt and Babylon were two of the biggest enemies of God's people in the Old Testament. One held them back from the promised land, Egypt, by keeping them as slaves. And one took them out of the promised land in exile. That's Babylon. So the ones that held them back and kicked them out are enemies of God's people. And here they are. They are recorded among those who acknowledge God. They're on the record. They're enemies of God. Then Philistia and Tyre, well, they were enemies who were closer at hand. Egypt and Babylon were big enemies from a distance. Philistia and Tyre were enemies who were close. And Cush, well, they were people that were a long, long way away, deep down in Africa. That's where Cush 
probably was. So what the psalmist is saying here is that people who are enemies, enemies far away, enemies close at home, people who are far, far away in a far-off land, all of them are on the record of those who are acknowledging God as citizens of Zion. Now, and, the, and interestingly, the word here for acknowledge is more than just um, uh, declaring allegiance. Acknowledge here is the same word, uh, a Bible word, no. In older versions of the Bible, we, we, we read the word no actually for the relationship between a husband and a wife because there's an intimate relationship. In older versions, you would read Adam knew his wife Eve and they had a son. It's a close, intimate knowledge, a relationship. It's not just declaring allegiance. You know, I, I, I declare allegiance, uh, well, I haven't actually done it. Inter interestingly enough, if you become a citizen of the UK and become one, you've got to declare allegiance to the Queen. But I've never done that, <laughs> and I'm still a citizen. But hey, uh, I wouldn't have a problem doing it necessarily, but it's not that kind of thing. Okay, it's not just saying, I declare allegiance, because I don't even know the queen. I've never met her. But here, it is more than just declaring allegiance. It's a deep knowledge of God, you see? And the enemies of God, far and near, they're in a relationship with the king of Zion. But how do they become in a relationship with the king? What's going on? Well, at the end of verse 4, uh, sorry, it says, this one was born in Zion. This one was born in Zion. They are in a relationship with God because they are born citizens of Zion. You see? They are born citizens of Zion. This one was born there. They have a right to be there because they were born in Zion. Now, I have a right to live in this country because I was born here. That's why I have to show my passport in other places, but here I don't because I was born here. They have a right to be in Zion because they were born in Zion. Now, the nations mentioned here, they all exist. They already existed. They were born in those nations, but here it says they were born in Zion. So what's going on? This is a statement of declaration given by God. That's what's going on. God here is declaring this one was born in Zion. They don't become citizens of Zion by passing a citizenship test or by being a resident for a certain amount of time. They are born there. How? Well, this is what the New Testament means in John chapter 3 when Jesus talks about being born again. Jesus says to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 verse 3, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Born again. Now you could rephrase kingdom of God here as city of God. So it would read, no one can see or be a part of the city of God unless they are born again. We don't earn the right to be declared as being born in Zion. We are reborn 
by God working in us by his spirit to show us our sin and our need of forgiveness. That's why Jesus goes on to say to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Or, those that believe in him shall not perish, but become citizens of the city of God. Same kind of thought. Jesus came and died in our place on the cross so that our sin can be forgiven and we can be born again. And people from all nations, enemies of God, can have their names recorded as born in Zion if they have a relationship with the King of Zion, Jesus Christ. You can be part of this city if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ by seeking his forgiveness for your sins and trusting that you can be forgiven because he's paid for them on the cross. We don't earn it. We don't earn earn our own birth. I didn't pay my parents before I was born to give birth to me. It just happened. I didn't earn that. We didn't earn our rebirth. God does the work for us. So when those nations that are enemies of God, it says this one was born in Zion, it's because they have been reborn by a work of God's Spirit. We see this coming to life a bit more. If you, We're not going to read it now because of time. But if you read Acts chapter 2, uh, we see people from all different nations coming together to Jerusalem. And from all those nations, they hear the gospel proclaimed and thousands are saved and become members of the city of Zion. Well, how about you? Are you, are you a citizen of Zion? You can be if you trust in Jesus to forgive your sins so you can have a relationship with God. You can be a member. Well, verse 5 continues the glorious truth about the citizenship of God's people. Uh, Verse 5 shows how they are publicly acknowledged individuals. Indeed, of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her. So the people's identity was known by which people they belonged to. And these people were known as citizens of Zion. The people were now not known by their former uh, nationalities. They were known as citizens of Zion. That was what they were acknowledged as. They may have still lived in their various countries, but they were known as citizens of Zion. I remember uh, many years ago, I might have told this story before, but it, it, it helps to illustrate this. I was sent on a mission trip uh, to France by my Sunday school teacher, and I was told when you get to France off the plane, uh, you'll be able to meet the people that are picking you up and you go stay with them. And I said, well, how do I recognize them? And she said, oh, but they're Christians. And I thought, I was, I was 16, and I thought, if I say, what does that look like? I might look really unholy before her. And so I just said, oh, okay. Expecting when I got off the plane that somehow I would recognize them as Christians. If she'd have said they were, this isn't meant to be offensive, but if she'd have said they were American, I would have been able to recognize them because I heard them speak 
and I recognized the accent, and I would have known straight away, I'll go and see them. And as it happened, they were Americans who also held my name up in big letters, and so I recognized them pretty quickly after I got off the plane. When I went to stay with them, of course, I could see that they were Christians. That's not what it means when this one and that one were born in her. They, they look a bit funny, or they look like Christians. But uh, uh, the way that we live, the way that we are, the way that we behave, the things we talk about, should identify us as believers in Jesus. It should be able to be said of us, oh, th- This one was born in Zion. That one was born in Zion. Now, of course, the world wouldn't say it like that. But they should recognize us as from another place. Someone ever says to you, oh, it's like you're from from another planet. You can say, yes, it's called the city of God. I mean, that's what we do in, in baptism, isn't it? We publicly go through the waters of baptism. Why? To say, this one was born in Zion. That's what's happening in baptism. We're we're, we're saying, I'm born in Zion. Do people know where your real citizenship is, Christian? Citizen of Zion. Do they know that you are a citizen of that city? Or do you assimilate so much into our society that people couldn't tell a difference? Well, notice how at the end of verse 5, it says, And the Most High himself will establish her. In verse 1, the Lord founded the city, and here he establishes the city. And there's a gap between the founding and the establishing. So how is the city established? Well, the link is that word and. This one and that one were born in her, and the Most High himself will establish her. So the citizens are noted as being from Zion, and that will continue to go on until the city is established. This means that the city will be established only when the register is complete. When all the citizens are registered in the record book, then the city is established. And the Lord will continue to register until that time is done. Now, this gives us great value, actually, as God's people, doesn't it? That the city of Zion is not really established until your name is in the book. If my name, you know, the city of Zion is not established until my name is written in that record. That's not to say I'm the the key to Zion or anything like that. It's to say that the people of God are being recorded And until all the people of God are recorded, the city of Zion is not established. If your name is in the register, it's written in there by God himself. It doesn't have in the record, um, you know, your name and then a reason why you're there. Every reason's the same, just something along the lines of loved by God. He wants your name there. He doesn't rub it out. It's in, um, when when you get married, we have to use a special pen um, to write on the register. And I think it's a pen that you're not supposed to rub out, right? I think that's the reason it's a special pen, because marriage is supposed to be permanent. But this is a pen that cannot be rubbed out. God writes our name. He writes it. 
And it gives us great value because until it's written, the city is not established. Now, sometimes we can feel as if we have no value. Sometimes we can feel as if we're rubbish. But if we're a citizen of Zion, we are especially loved by the king who wrote our name in the book. We're not going to get our names erased. And that's a wonderful truth, isn't it? Now, we need to take sin seriously, of course, but we also need to take God's love for us seriously, that we are forgiven. There is nothing that I can do to rub my name out of his book. Now, this all sounds uh, and, and is wonderful, but perhaps you are outside of the city of Zion. Perhaps you know that your name is not on the record. And perhaps you're quite happy and think, well, my name isn't on the record, but actually I'm quite happy just being a citizen of Great Britain or wherever it is you come from. I'm quite happy just being a, a citizen of this world. It's all lovely that you Christians can feel good that your name is there and you have you know, forgiveness and all that, but I'm happy. Why should I become a citizen of Zion? Well, verse 7 gives us the answer to that. Why should I become a citizen of Zion? Because the citizens of Zion are blessed. It says, as they make music, they will sing, all my fountains are in you. Now, God's people are always a musical people. It's, it's a weird thing when you think about it, unless you are into big sports crowds or concerts, but it's, it's a weird thing, isn't it, for a group of people every week to get together and sing, especially when most of us aren't very good at it, if we're honest. I mean, I'm speaking for myself. I'll never, ever get asked to, to do that. <laughs> but it's odd, isn't it, that we, we sing so much as Christians. It's, we are a, a musical people, but it's not odd if we are Christians because we sing because there's so much to sing about. Singing is an expression of how we feel, and it's an expression of, of the truth that we believe as God's people. Usually music's an expression of joy, although there are songs of lament, but here it is joy. They are singing joyfully. And what are they singing? They're singing, all my fountains are in you. That's probably in a song that I couldn't find um, in our hymn book, but there's a song there. They're singing. And the song is called, All My Fountains Are In You. That is the song of the city of Zion. And the, the fountains here is used in two different ways. Uh, one way fountain is used, it, it means the source. Uh, so it, it would mean, um, I sing because I come from Zion. My, my source, where I'm from, my identity, who I am, is from Zion. It's uh, talking of the, the, the spring of life, if you like, the source, where I come from. But another use of fountain means place of refreshment or place of satisfaction, which is what Jesus talks about in the New Testament when he says, I am the, the living water. He speaks of himself as a, a spring or a fountain that's welling up that you can continue to come to for refreshment. That's what Jesus means there, and that's what it's talking of here too. We're, we're singing because my identity, where I come from, the source of my existence is in Zion, where God dwells. 
But we also sing because we know that all the things that truly satisfy are only really found in the city of God where God dwells. I was, in fact, I was reading this morning uh, Psalm 36 and verse 9, where a similar kind of thought comes across. It says, for with you, God, that is, with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. In God is the fountain of life, the place where true joy and peace and satisfaction comes. And those, isn't that worth singing of? That God is the God who provides what we truly need in our lives? Isn't it worth singing that he's the, the source of our salvation? That we are loved by God? That's why we come under the rule of the King of Zion. That's why we become citizens of Zion because it's only there that we can sing, all my fountains are in you. Because we all sing this song. We are all singing to someone or something, all my fountains are in you. And if that song is not directed to God, you're singing something that is just a lie and will be found to be not true. Because nothing else truly brings the joy and the satisfaction that we need. Nothing else saves but God alone. And so we can sing with truth and with joy, all my fountains are in you. Sometimes as Christians, we can look around the world and it can seem as though, well, they're having a much better time than we are. Zion can be seen as a a city where there's a lot of restriction. I can't do all these things that everyone else can do. But the truth is, it's only under the loving rule of our creator that we can be who he made us to be. It's only to him that we will be able to sing, all my fountains are in you. One day, though, there'll be a time when we won't look around the world and wonder if they're having a better time because there will be a time when Zion will be established. Zion right now is a a, a spiritual city, if you like. The kingdom of God where, where his people are dwelling. But one day there will be a physical place, Zion, where there will be no more sin or death or crying or pain where every desire that we have will be truly and completely satisfied forever. The final book of Revelation talks of the time when the city of Zion will be a physical place. Uh, Revelation talks of Zion. I'm going to show you the words on the screen, but this is from Revelation uh, chapter 21. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are its temple, and the Lamb are his temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, 
but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Do you see there the fulfillment of Psalm 87? The Lamb's book of life is the completed register of the peoples where the names of Zion's citizens are written. All the nations, those that were talked about in this psalm and more, walk by the light of that city. There is true refreshment forever and ever. It talks of waters of life. All my fountains are in you. At the moment... We live as citizens of Zion abroad, not on holiday, uh, but we're actually at war in a, in a foreign land. Whatever country we're living in, whatever our passports say, we are all really in the same place. It's called the world. But our citizenship is higher than our passport. We are citizens of this city waiting for God to call us home. We are abroad now, but we're traveling home, and one day we'll be home where we'll sing the praises of our God forever and ever. And that's a glorious hope. Whatever our views on Brexit, the promises that they make on either side, are nothing compared to this, are they? Why would you want to even now be anywhere else but citizens of this city? Because right now, all our fountains are in God. But then, truly, it'll be even more so forever and ever. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have told us this morning of the the city of Zion. And we thank you so much that by your amazing grace, our names can be recorded on the register of those in that city. Oh Lord, that our names are written there is beyond our comprehension because we know we do not deserve to be there. But we thank you that we can say this one and that one were born in her. And I pray for people here this morning whose names, uh, as of yet, are not in that register. Help them to see, O Lord, that you are the only one to whom we can sing, all our fountains are in you. And would today be a day of salvation, where you write more names in that book of life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to close uh, by singing.